Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. Perhaps you've heard of the prosperity preacher, Joel Osteen. Well, he's not my guest today, but I am thrilled that my guest is the technology evangelist, Mr. Mark Saltzman. (laughs) Mark is the king of all tech media, a journalist, an author, a TV, radio, and podcast host, a lecturer, a keynote speaker, and a content creator. He is one of North America's most recognizable and trusted tech experts, the go-to guy for consumer electronics, interactive entertainment, business technology, and future trends, both on and offline. Mark's pledge to humanity is to translate geek speak into street speak without the need for a geek to English dictionary. Welcome, Mark, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. I understand you're a bit under the weather today. How are you and where are you? Thanks so much, Andrew, for that awesome intro and for inviting me on to uh, this amazing podcast. Uh, I'm feeling fine. Yeah, my my tests say I don't have the vid, but I don't know if I believe it. It's been three, four days and my wife has it. So I'm probably going down swinging, but uh, I did not want to... uh, pass up on the opportunity to chat with you today and well, i am in uh thornhill ontario canada so yeah i don't think too far from you no so, yeah I'm a, I'm a proud york region resident you and i the podcast is is hosted out of richmond hill so we're uh repping the york region yeah i love it you know you got more bang for your buck and if you want to go downtown it's really fast so yeah you know, yeah no i love it up here um this is great. I didn't grow up here. My wife's from, I brought her name up earlier, Kelly. She grew up in this area. So that's kind of mm-hmm. how we settled here. But um, I'm a North York uh, guy. Well, you and I, as we're going to talk about, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, at the time when we grew up there, no, no one even lived out here where we are now. So that is true. We're, we're not pioneers, <laughs> but we're, we're setting the stage. Thanks for making the time because frankly, I'm not even sure you had the time. Uh, I tried to make a list everywhere I could find Mark Saltzman. And honestly, I couldn't keep track of all the mediums and platforms that you can be found on. You're on terrestrial radio, satellite radio, TV, podcasts, bookshelves, and magazines all over social media. You're across the internet. You're at trade shows. I even found you on my movie screen. I got exhausted <laughs> trying to track you. Can you please summarize where, uh, where and when you can regularly be found? Yeah, and thanks again for that. You know, my approach to tech is to, as you said, off the top, to really demystify it, not just celebrate tech. Like I'm a proud geek, I'm, you know, pocket protecting, card carrying <laughs> nerd. Uh, but, um, but, but I really enjoy making sense of tech in plain English. And as such, I try to be wherever people consume media, you know? Um, so mm-hmm. whether it's at the movie theater screens, and yeah, I had a great gig with Cineplex for, boy, 11 years. Uh, mainstream TV stations like CNN or CTV or global, I've, uh, you know, or on the radio, as you mentioned, I just, wherever people, I th- and I think tech is one of those things where people need a little bit of help uh, in understanding, maybe not, maybe not the Gen Z, the, the millennials, but um, you know, there are exceptions uh, on, on both sides. There are, you know, my mom is 83, you know, just kick my ass at the Scrabble app that we're playing. Like she's pretty techie, but um yeah, I, I just I've tried my, my approach as a one man company, if you will, a, a brand is to try to be 
wherever people consume content. I hope it's not annoying. I don't want people to roll their eyes. Like, here's this guy again. I'm in, you know, I'm in an elevator at the Brookfield place and I see his, uh, you know, those little screens, those digital signs in the elevators. Like I try, I try to write for everywhere. I love, you know, at, at its core, I'm a journalist is that's where I got my start. Yep. And then I branched out into media, you know, TV, radio, movie theaters. And then the last part, which has been a little bit put on ice because of the pandemic uh, is keynoting. So I okay. love standing on a stage and, and, and giving a, a chat to an audience about tech Um and it's starting to open up. I've already booked a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, I've been doing over webinar. Webinar is not the same thing. You're kind of speaking yeah. to the ether. You don't know who's listening. There's yeah. no energy there. You know, it's, it's a bit different. But uh, yeah, I'm excited that things are opening up. Well, it's great to see. And like you say, it's so much better where you can engage with your audience. A very practical question. How do you stay organized and manage all your various obligations? And let me guess, there's, a, there's an app for that. <laughs> I use Outlook. For everything. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm not like a Microsoft fanboy or anything, but I stay really uh, organized with a, a, a rock solid calendar that's synchronized between my phone and my tablet and my laptop and my desktop. So um, I use voice to text a lot because it's faster and more accurate than typing. Uh, so I could be driving. I could be I don't know. I get, I like, I have an epiphany in the shower of something I want to do. I don't want to get like, you know, TMI, but <laughs> the second I step out, I just tap my phone and I, I set a reminder or a calendar entry using my voice. So my daily calendar looks ridiculous, but a lot of it is prep. You know, when I'm writing an article that's due say Friday, um, I have to, obviously, if it's a, a review, which I don't do as much as anymore, and we can get into that, uh, or if it's an interview or something, I obviously have to, you know, work backwards and say, okay, if this is due Friday, I've got to do my work on say Wednesday, so I can do my research and start re- drafting it on Thursday so I can f- polish it up on Friday. So I, I populate my calendar really efficiently. And because I'm on different mediums, I try to recycle my like own stuff. Like if I'm going to be investing some time to learn about, I don't know, NFTs, then I'm going to obviously want to have a guest or two on my radio show that talks about non-fungible tokens. I'll write an article that demystifies it. I'll talk about it on TV. So I'll ask a a TV network uh, or they'll reach out to me. Hey, are you free tomorrow on, I don't know, CP24 breakfast or something to chat about this. So I just try to repurpose a lot of what I've invested time in and and I recycle my own stuff if I can. If both editors are okay with it, I will repurpose. Like that's a big tip for any freelance journalist out there is to fight for the right to own your work. Yeah. And that way you can just resell it and resell it and resell it because why not? Right. The if it's ability zips, to yeah. double dip, double dip, triple dip, quadruple dip, yeah, quadruple dip. <laughs> As long, the problem with tech though, is that it gets dated, right? Yeah. So if I, if I wrote something a year ago for USA today, which is one of my biggest outlets, I've been with them 24 years every mm. week in October. So almost wow. 24 years. Um, I'm allowed to resell it like 48 hours after it's been published, but it may not be relevant anymore. You know, but were you ahead? Yeah. How'd you know to, did you think ahead to own your own stuff or did, I guess you learned while you went or was it? How- yeah, exactly. Oh. I learned on the job by talking to other journalists. Like, by the way, you should, you know, you pick up things over the years when you're freelance, like little tips and tricks. Sure. That I now try to impart on others, you know, like I'm often asked to speak to, graduating, you know, graduating, I don't know, college for journalism or broadcast journalism. And they asked me to give some advice um, or sit on a panel and, and talk. I remember I was asked uh, just before COVID to, to, I was, it was an in-person event for a graduating class of journalists and everybody had to give like, you know, what's your final thought? What's the one thing you want to leave the, the audience with today? And, and everybody was giving very practical advice about 
the craft of journalism, right? Mm -hmm. My advice was for every hour you spend writing, spend three to four hours getting more work. And they're like, Mm. really? That's your advice? That sucks. I'm like, hey, you want to make a living and a good living as a freelance journalist? I was told when I was 26, uh, so half my life ago, when I, when I quit my day job and became a full-time journalist, uh, the editor I wrote for, like someone in my own industry who I was writing for, she's like, I hope you like craft dinner. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're going to eat KD for the rest of your life if you want to be a freelance journalist in Canada, just so you know. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, F that, like, you know. Cold and, shower. Yeah, but thankfully it wasn't true. It's, it's, well, you know. y- your point is well made. It's good that you have a practical approach. It, you got to be prospecting while you're doing the work as well. That's where it's all about business d- development, man. Like I'm a good writer. I'm not a great writer. I've never claimed to be, you know, like this Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. <laughs> like, you know, I think I can, the trick with tech is to not make it boring, right? Yeah. That can be very dry and I try to make it fun and, and accessible as you know, but um, the, the challenge is really is to, you got to get work because no one's going to break down your door and, until you've been doing it for 25 years, then the pendulum swings back. But you know, it's a grind, Andrew. I mean, I'm not telling you anything or what your listeners don't know. Nothing comes easy these days. Right. And um, you got to well, be too proactive. many people think it does. It's and they don't see all the, uh, all I always said, I don't, I don't know if it's a good analogy, but I was always struck by Rodney Dangerfield always had a story about, you know, people would tell me, this is showing our age, of course, that I'm even referencing him, but he'd go on the Carson show and he'd kill it for three minutes. And everyone would say, oh, it's great. You know, you were so natural. Guess what? I did nine hours for that three minutes. Sure. Yeah. It's like that, t- that, that cartoon uh, comic of the tip of the iceberg. Like everybody sees that one little tip. They don't see all the shit under the water. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's where all the work comes in for that one little tip. You know, it's true. You know, you, you got to break down doors. That's the one thing I always try to talk to anybody looking to get into this is it's a grind, but if you love it, then I wait, I still to this day, wake up with a smile on my face, wow. but it's a grind, you know, but I remember when I was, you fun- have that approach. Like, yeah, thanks. You know, it's well, funny. Let, the, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was just going to say having the passion. I think it took me a long time to realize, you know, I think we were raised to an extent you, you got to work. We all have to work. Yeah. But the concept of being able to do something you're passionate about, it's tremendous that all these years later, you can say you do wake up happy. And Yeah. I love my job. I, 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 I work for myself. I work from home. I get to play with gadgets. I'm obviously simplifying what I do, but it's, it's, I'm so thrilled that I chose this path, you know, and my dad, he's got my back. Like I'm no question. And uh, he's still around. I love my dad, Stan. But I remember when I quit my day job in 96, like I was saying, I was a bill collector, by the way, not doing anything with my U of T degree in psych and my, I was losing interest in my band, uh, which is a whole other conversation. That's what I thought I was going to be. It was a rock drummer and manager, but anyways, I I quit my day job in 96 because I was offered to co-write a book about video games. And I did it. I quit my job. I fit. I was just co-author, but um, you know, a couple months later I was done. My dad's like, you done? Okay, good. Go back to work. Go, go, go back to being a bill collector. Yeah. No, 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 man. This is like the perfect opportunity. I don't have any kids. I'm not married. No dependents, no mortgage. I was living at home, by the way, I was living at home uh, pretty late in life until I was 30. In fact, I lived in the basement of my parents' place and my wife to be Kelly kind of moved in when, when I was 27, but Anyways, I had no debt really. So I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Right. And uh, so true. So I'm glad I didn't listen to him and I tease him about <laughs> it. But I mean, look, he had his, you know, he comes from a different time. 
where you, you don't have it. to like what you do. He's like, that's what hobbies are for. Well, but you know, the, the mind, it's incredible. And we're going to talk a little about the changing uh, shift, I guess, paradigm shift, as they call it, the, the way we in the way we treat our kids today. Mark, let's go back all the way. If you're OK with that, let's capture yeah. your origin story. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. So I was born in North York at Branson in 1970. And, um, you know, it was uh, a decent upbringing. I was at uh, a decent. That sounds like really. <laughs> your parents no, it was a great this, upbringing. Okay. You know, it was really great. I'm um, blessed to still have my parents around. And uh, we were living at like Grand Ravine and Finch area. Yeah. And it got a little bit too rough, I think, for my for my folks. So we moved when I was eight to North York, like near Fairview Mall-ish. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was good. You know, it was middle-class upbringing. Uh, both parents worked. I, I, you know, they did instill in me the, a good work ethic. And I've been working since I was 14, but music was my passion. So if anybody met me from age 10 to 26, the fact that I became a techie, like writing books about technology, it, would, it seemed so weird mm. when I, when I, you know, when I was running into people who had seen me on TV talking about video games and gadgets are like, you were the music guy. What happened? So I was a rocker, you know, and I, I managed and drummed in a band called, uh, eventually we were called Remedy. We okay. opened up for like the Tragically Hip. Wow. The Goo Goo Dolls opened up for us, which was cool. <laughs> uh, Bare Naked Ladies. We played with Our Lady Peace. And interestingly, I just interviewed for the second time last week, Rain Maida, the singer okay. of OLP. Yeah. And re- reminded him that we played together in the, in the early to mid nineties, um, in Toronto. So that was a kick to now interview him as a techie. But so, yeah, I, that was my plan. And then I decided to go to U of T as a backup in case music didn't pan out. And I did pay my four way, my four years through university by playing gigs and other jobs, including being a bill collector. Um, so it was tough, you know, I was burning the midnight oil because I was managing in the band. I was like in, you know, the, 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 the manager's office till two, three in the morning and they're trying to rip you off. You know, you're a kid yeah. and they're like, yeah, I don't know if you sold as many tickets as you said, or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what percentage of the bar did we say we would give you like that kind of stuff really <laughs> trying to take advantage of you. And, and, and the next thing I know, like I had to be at school like three hours later, four hours later. So yeah. it was tough, but you know, um, life, life lessons, it builds work ethic. Like let's face it. Right. Um, where, so where was, was elementary school? So I went to Lescon for first style Croft, which was again in um, Grand Ravine, Finch area. Yeah. And then Lescon public school, which yeah. is uh, less like Shepherd and Leslie area. And then uh, Don Valley junior high. Don Valley. Yeah. I was supposed to go to Woodbine and my folks were like, well, we're not sure. You know, we just had this like, and, and no offense to anybody listening. It was, it was a bit of a rough area. Yeah. So I, I hope that's not offending anybody or my parents perceived it to be a rougher school or environment for me. Yes. Or a little Jewish guy, like not really, <laughs> I don't know how well I would, you know, fair there, but uh, I love Don Valley. It was awesome. Uh, and then I was supposed to go to George Vanier and they yes. said, no, we want you to go to AY Jackson where your yes. sister went. I have a sister who's six years older. Okay. And so I went to AY Jackson and, um, yeah. And then when I graduated, I, I made a deal with my band that I wouldn't go to university out of town because I would have broken up the band. So we still gigged and I decided to go to U of T, uh, Scarborough campus. And uh, that was a really fun four years of my life. Again, I was there like, OK, I'll get this degree in psych, but I'm going to be a drummer in a band. And then over the years, I kind of lost interest in both, both psychology. I finished my degree. But was that was your degree in psych? Yeah, I have an honors bachelor of science specialist. 
Good. Well, as your parents would say, you can always fall back on that. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly their word. Uh, And then, yeah, I graduated when I was 23. And then I started reviewing. So here's what happened. I wanted free video games. And I was sick of paying $70 a game. Very practical you were. So I decided that if I called video game companies and told them that I reviewed games, they would send them to me for free. And they did. But then they said, okay, where's your review? So I was like, oh, yeah, that part. So I found a local Toronto-based newspaper at the time called Toronto Computes. It was a free, you remember that? You remember yeah, that? I remember yeah. the boxes. The right, corner. they had boxes on the side yeah. of the street, like a Toronto Star, Toronto Sun, whatever. And uh, they gave me a shot without having any, any journalism background. And uh, I just learned on the job. I would see what I submitted in like, you know, whatever, Word or probably back then word perfect. Yeah. And then, and then, and then I would, then I would see what it looked like when it was published. And I'm like, Oh, so the comma goes inside of the quotes. Okay. You know, when you're quoting, so not outside, I, yeah. you, you learned that I wasn't a journalism major. Sure. So anyways. Um, yeah. So I, I started reviewing video games and that I was like, wow, I got to keep the game and like the free game and get paid to review it. And so that just started with that. And then I just doubled down. I started calling bigger and bigger publications. I got them with the Toronto Star. I wrote for a weekly section at the time called Fast Forward. And then I started writing about non-tech gaming things, like more tech, like reviewing printers and smartphones and all that. Then I started getting more work in the States. So as I mentioned, uh, so CNN.com, I started with in 97. And I thankfully correctly predicted that mp3s were going to revolutionize the the industry that was your big bet it was a big bet because it was a year before it really became a big thing and i got work out of that because editors would write like i think i got my job at playboy magazine uh i wrote for them for 13 years because the editor was like okay i remember you like so long ago predicting this was going to be heaven or hell uh, for the music industry, depending on what side you were on. If you're a music liver, a lover, I mean, then, then, uh, or music liver, whatever, <laughs> either one. Yeah. Um, then you're going to love the fact that, you know, the proverbial cats out of the bag, you can download anything for free. Uh, but if you're a label, you're and a musician, you're not going to be so happy kind of thing. Well, but uh, yeah. I got to so, stop you there. Cause yeah, that sure. one, that didn't come up in any of your profiles. You wrote for playboy for 13 years. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I've been to the mansion a couple of times. Yeah. You're kidding. People read for the mag for the articles. You know, <laughs> it's true. You, no staple you in my label. Yeah. No, I got a job Yeah, 97 to 2010 when they kind of lost their freelance budget. Wow. Oh, so, yeah. I, I've been to the mansion a couple. There's pictures out there. If you if you Google my name and Hugh Hefner, you'll wow. see. Wow. Yeah. So you met half. I've met him a couple of times. Yeah. Please give piece. us one uh, anecdote. There isn't a juicy story about Hefner. And I've never, you know, I've been there maybe eight seven, eight times over the years, but I was never, you know, on the A-list where, you know, what's that famous party they used to have every year, the Midsummer Night's Dream. I would never yeah. get invited to those AAA okay. parties, but I've been there where the celebrities have been there. I remember once being in the grotto, not in the water, but hanging out in this like cave-like area on these like giant bed, like lily pad kind of things, uh, talking with my editor at the time, Jason um, and Vern uh, um, Troyer. Yeah, also passed away. Yeah, mini me. He was, let's just say it was a little dark where he was in there. And I'm glad because I kind of caught a glimpse of what may have been happening. Uh, He was a famous uh, regular visitor. I heard. Yeah, I heard that after. Uh, Last time I was there was a celebrity sports um, tournament, like a, a, a poker tournament that was all sports celebrities. And I don't know anything about sports. 
So okay. my editor was like, you know who you're sitting at with at this table? I'm like, no clue. And they thought it was hilarious. Like NFLers and NBA. Oh, wow. Guys, we, we would I, I had, know. They, and they thought it was hilarious. I had no idea who they were. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. And I just started writing for bigger and bigger publications. Yeah. USA Today. It's been a long, oh, here's, here's a fun story. So I'm talking about breaking down doors and, and chutzpah and all that. The one place I wanted to write for that would not give me the time of day was Yahoo. If you remember, they were the kings of the internet in the 90s. Yes. And they hired journalists, but they would not consider me. I was like this unknown Canadian guy. So I, and he, the, the, I, I confirmed that the right, the editor I was trying to reach was the right guy. Cause I, you know, you don't want to spin your wheels and you're writing to the wrong people or calling the wrong people, but he wouldn't give me the time of day, several emails and calls all unanswered. So I went on the internet and I um, ordered a giant cookie to his desk, uh, you know, like a Mrs. Fields kind of like yeah. in a the box. And I had my name and phone number in icing. And he you called me that day time. and he, he hired me. He's like, how could I not hire you after you? It was, it cost me Andrew like eight bucks, like American, but still <laughs> eight bucks. It was nothing drop in the bucket. And it was just a, a way of thinking, you know, a little bit differently to get in front of them. And, but kudos to you. How many of us were, were writing on word perfect, writing uh, the same cover letter, competing with everyone else you're graduating yeah. with. And as you point out, you weren't from a journalism school. So you were yeah. competing with all these journalism students. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good you are. It's, it's how, how good you get the work. And yeah, keep, you got, once you keep it, you got to be good, obviously. Like good, it, good enough. Get your you foot be, in the door. Yeah, and that's it. It's all about it open. And then once I started writing for bigger and bigger publications, I would get invited to these video game junkets in the States. Again, I wrote a lot, mostly about video games in the 90s. That and, was and your entry web. point, eh? Video games, you'd Video say. games. And yeah. then the web. Like, the, like I started on the radio in 96 on uh, Edge 102, CFNY, mm-hmm. uh, with a weekly segment called Mark's Web Watch, where Ooh. I talked about what was new on the web. And I remember telling it was on. It was, it was Alan Cross. It was the Alan yeah. Cross, the Alan Cross. I was. They gave me ten minutes with them every Monday, and I did that call from the collection agency that I worked at. <laughs> they gave me a, a room for ten minutes every Monday. I convinced my boss to let me have a ten minute quiet reprieve from my brutal day job for this cool radio opportunity. And I scripted everything. Like I just read it off paper and tried to make it sound natural. Again, no broadcast journalism experience. And I remember teaching Alan Cross, like what an MP3 was on the air. So I started in games, branched to the web, but then music because of my previous passion was, uh, you know, I, I was really into digital music and the MP3, birth of MP3s and like Kazan, LimeWire and all. Right? Napster. Yeah, Napster, I mean, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so that's how it all started. And then I got more into radio with my own show and then TV and it just all kind of ballooned from there. You were always hustling. I, I'd, I'd be remiss though if we didn't go back and talk about A.Y. Jackson because it's very rare we get a chance to. So what year did you finish there? You were 89? Yeah, 89. I graduated in uh, March, I guess, of 89. I had enough credits to, to, to work for six months before I started U of T. So we, we graduated the same time, same place. And I want to present to you now, Mark, I have, this is hot off the, the web. This is the top five most notable alumni from AY Jackson. So updated up to the moment. So I came in at number six. So that's, I did. Awesome. Who, who compiled this list? You? Eight to five, but that's where I would have been. So Sorry, number it just five. Cut out, it just cut out th- for this a second. Is, this is, who, this who compiled this list? Th- yeah, this has been. This is this is this is up to date to the moment. Uh, let's call it from the internet. Okay, uh, number five, 
Alex Lifeson from Rush. He's he's only number five. <laughs> well, that's why I say to you, that's today, right? You and I, he would have been number one. He's now number five. Okay. And as as you may know, he's got a new band and a new album coming out. And and as you probably mm-hmm. also know, he's got a great art park named after him and Getty Lee near Sweet. Young and Shepherd in our beloved North York. Yep. Num- number five notable alumni from A.Y. Jackson, Gerald Eaton. Sure. A.K.A. Jarvis Church. Yeah, he discovered uh, Nelly Furtado. And from the Philosopher Kings, and he was yep. recently a guest on on the Major League Affiliate podcast of this one, Toronto Mike. Show, oh, shout out to host Toronto Mike. I played with Gerald Eaton in those like Battle of the Bands. Yeah, do you remember those? Down at, I uh, do. Like, yeah. <laughs> Number three, Kid Poker, Daniel Negreanu. That's right. Career dad, earnings of. You yeah. Go ahead. No, no, please, Andrew. Go ahead. A, a career earnings of forty-two million dollars. That's that's million. And he apparently started playing billiards at Leslie and Cummer. So. I was, no, I was just going to say at uh, Young. Uh, so I didn't know he played there, but uh, at Young and Steele's, my dad, Stan's best friend, was Wall, is Wally. And Wally owns Studio Billiards yep. at Young, at, you know, right near Centerpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Formerly Town and Country for us older <laughs> yeah. guys. Now uh, you're really- and Daniel was a, a regular there, too. So my dad uh, would see him play. I don't know if he ever played with him, but my dad was a regular. Cause it was also his best friend uh, who yeah. ran it. That's where he started his gambling ways. <laughs> the number two most notable alumni is Lawrence Applebaum. Did you know Lawrence? I know that's your brother, I'm assuming. I know the name. Uh, we have the same last name, but nope. no relation. Okay. He's apparently become a major adult movie star in his native uh, Zamunda. But <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> sorry, I should, he's my little brother. He that's is so nice. He's killing it in life and career. And yeah, he was a year behind me. So a year behind. Okay. We were both 89. He was 90. Yeah. And uh, and my mom would be unhappy if I didn't put him number two. By the way, our, our younger baby sister didn't even make the list. So now I'm going to hear from Uh-oh. my uh, my mom. You're it's going to be a problem. Neck. But the number one alumni from A.Y. Jackson is Mark Saltzman. Oh, so please. Congratulations. You're so funny. You are well known. Yes. You, you, I wonder, Thank do you keep you so in much. touch with anyone from high school? You know, I do. So, uh, and, you know, so there's other musicians, by the way, not just Alex Lifeson and, and Gerald Eaton, but Howie Beck is a, a producer. Uh, he's mixed albums and you know, he's mixed and produced albums for the likes of Feist and Walk, Walk Off the Earth and Bare Naked Ladies and Ron Sexsmith and Hayden. So he's good. So I, I but I talked to Bill Mann, Bill Rotman, who is a musician also in the States right now. And uh, yeah, there's I've, I do talk to some friends on my my uh, ex, uh, Joanne Brearley. We were just chatting the other day, uh, lamenting the, um, <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this. The uh, <laughs> No, please do. So, so the, um, at uh, young end, um, oh my gosh, I'm having a, a cloud moment here. So maybe this could be edited by Toronto, Mike. <laughs> the, we were lamenting the closure of the official closure of the Emerald Isle Motel. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that, uh, this is, um, that just happened. I drove by and saw the new sign up and I was like, Oh no. Oh my gosh. So uh, her and I keep in touch and, and uh, she was my girlfriend um, back at AY. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've got some friends and I see some guys once in a while for cards and things like that. We play poker. Speaking of Daniel Negreanu, a little bit of poker here and there. I'm, oh, I'm, I would, I would say I'm much closer to my um, U of T Scarborough buddies still. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you think about our yeah. high school days, we're over yeah. 30 How years about ago. you? Do you talk? Well, to I, I just have to tell you something funny. I, I don't do a great job of keeping in touch with either high school or even uh, my university days. I don't do a great job, but I have to tell you something that's neither here nor there. When I, 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 I was aware of you 
Uh, and I was aware of when I st started reaching out to you, I wondered if you were the Mark that I knew a little bit better and he kind of looked similar to you. And it was really bothering me because you didn't look that similar, but you were similar enough. And I kept thinking it's got to be you. And then out of the blue, like a lightning bolt last night, it came up Mark Alexander. Yeah. So and I was he was like Mark. a keyboardist. Yeah. So I still talk to him as well. Oh, more wow. on okay, social so media. I'm yeah, not making so things up. You're not making things up. I was in a band with him when I was 11. <laughs> he wow. is a fantastic keyboard player, a songwriter. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah. And he's married to Carrie um, uh, Haim. So uh, yeah, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah. No, we, we, we somewhat keep in touch. Yeah. So yeah, we look maybe a little bit similar. Yeah. That's know, great. Sort of the... Hey, that's a, that's a compliment to both of you. <laughs> yeah. He's very talented. So I'll take that as well. But uh, yeah, no, those were really fond days. I got to tell you, you know, I was figuring shit out like everybody in high school and I thought music was my, was going to be it. Yeah. But uh, you never know what, where life's going to take you. I've got three kids now in uh, uh, two of them are twins and they're in universities. They're finishing their second year. Congratulations. Thank you. My Almost off is, the payroll. Almost. Yeah. Right. It's just starting. And then my third, my youngest is graduating from Westmount in okay. Thornhill. So I'm going to have, we could be empty. We should be empty nesters this fall, at least temporarily. But you know, I keep reminding them because they're, of course, overwhelmed with what they have. You know, there's so much pressure. What are you going to do in your life? Whatever. Yeah. Like my youngest is 17, for God's sake. So I'm like, I was 26 when I figured it out. Like, yeah, 23 when I started reviewing videos. But it, that was a, more of a scam than like a career, yeah, um, yeah. you know, but it wasn't until I was 26. I'm like, you got lots of time. I, I just figured out why you work so hard, though. You're going to have... Uh... Three at university yeah, at the same right. time. You, you yeah. may have to work even harder, Mark. Yeah. Thankfully, that craft dinner thing wasn't true or else. I'd, yeah. Sorry, kids <laughs> can't go to university. But uh, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> After I emailed uh, you the reminder of our interview time, I had, you know, boilerplate standard tips on joining a Zoom call, the Zoom 101 stuff, ensuring mm -hmm. a strong internet connection, facing the microphone. Uh, the, the producer in Toronto, Mike, I got to give him credit. He had a great line. He said, it would be pretty ironic if Mark Saltzman couldn't handle the tech requirements. Uh, we had funny. a good laugh, but it got me thinking, when was the last time Mark Saltzman needed to call the help desk? My uh, hard drive, I had an external hard drive that died and I did my sort of bag of tricks to try to retrieve, to restore that uh, corrupted drive, the data off of that drive. And I was unsuccessful, but uh, thankfully I, I had an in with the company um, and I wrote to them and I'm like, what do I do? And they said, well, you've done everything that I would suggest you could do at home. You're mm -hmm. going to have to bring it to a data recovery center. Uh, and they hooked me up because this could be like, I don't know if you know, it could be like a thousand I, bucks or more. I unfortunately yeah. went through it. It was yeah. brutal. So I wouldn't say that it was anything I did wrong. Uh, did I not safely eject that drive when I kept on plugging it? No, but it was just one of those things I just couldn't, I, it was beyond my skill set. Ironically, I am not a techie in the sense, like I can't write a line of code, never have. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was going to you know, ask you a, about your Fortran and basic skills. Yeah, exactly. So it's funny because like I'll talk to kids and I'll push STEM. You know, one of my speeches is like talking to high school students about the future. And, uh, you know, if you're not into tech in some way, shape or form, you're going to be, you know, sort of instead of being part of this amazing future and all the well-paying careers, you're going to be a byproduct of it kind of thing. You know, you're going to, you're going to struggle, but ironically, I'm not like a techie either. I found another way to get in that same industry, but I, instead of like, you know, my first book was interviewing game designers. I've never made a game. So I just talk to the people who are really yeah. smart and I just well, find a way of, 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 of making it accessible and, you know, for the, for the layman. So 
Well, I was curious, how often do your friends and family ask you to help them set up their new computer or their TV? Every day I am getting a, usually a social media DM. Oh, which, you know, I'm standing in a Best Buy. I don't know if I should get an OLED TV or a QLED TV. What do I, or, you know, should, should I upgrade to the new iPhone or, you know, so every day from friends and family and, and, you know, Facebook friends and so on and Insta and whatever. But I'm also, I always encourage my listeners of my radio shows and podcasts and stuff. Hey, hit me up if you have any, but I, I used to be really good at replying quickly. Now I'm still replying, but it could be like a month later. Uh, I'm just so swamped, like spread so thin as you could relate that I I do try to help people, but sometimes it's too late. They're like, thanks anyways. I already got it fixed. I'm like, okay. I'm going to excuse you on on behalf of you. I'm going to excuse you. You don't get no time. I mean, I, I appreciate you like to to stay engaged. It's it's important. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to, you know, the, the, uh, the recommended way of dealing with things traditionally is turn it off and turn it on again. That is a great tip. What is the success rate of that strategy as a percentage? Would you say? I'd say say 72, (laughs) three out of four times. It's going to fix whatever ails your devices. Just reboot it. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. Like a router, a computer. Yeah. It usually works. I got to give you what my, my dear mom would call a backhanded compliment. And that is, you're an old guy. So yep. the two of us, we're both yep. 52, I believe. Yeah, yeah, next month, yep. But the compliment is how the heck, in a, technology in particular, so fast moving, constantly changing. I can't relate to anything my 15-year-old's doing. How do you stay on top of your game? And you are still the go-to guy at yeah, 52. It's, it doesn't, it defies reason. I appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, because I genuinely love this stuff. Like I'm still giddy with, you know, I'm very fortunate with what I do where FedEx is uh, UPS. They're at my door every day uh, with, with new stuff um, that I still get excited when I rip open the box and I get to play around with, I got this thing right here beside, I should, I know this is audio, but I've got this like Rubik's cube, like video game system coming out. It looks like a Rubik's cube, but it has 24 little screens on it. Wow. So you ro- you rotate the pieces like a Rubik's cube, but it's got these. Little, but there's four cubes per side, like oh. four, right? But it is a game system, and it actually has all these. Really, so I like I love it still. Or a new VR virtual reality experience. So my point is, I'm I consume so much content about what I'm naturally excited about, so it doesn't feel like I'm overwhelmed. Uh, but yeah, tech evolves so rapidly. You know. Um, it's, like a, it's amazing tw- in, in this industry, 25 years, it's like dog years. It feels like it's like a hundred years in any other industry. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And, and but, but what, just what you're saying, how great is it to, uh, to, I, I, let's get down to the nitty gritty. How many daily shipments do you get from Amazon and, and how many boxes <laughs> are backing up in your hallway there? Yeah. So I, a lot, I don't, I don't know if I can quantify it, but every week I'm getting, you know, a couple dozen things that I will either return or donate after, or I'll keep, but usually I try to give it back because my, my office looks like a Best Buy exploded. I'm not going to lie. It looks probably clean when I do my TV interviews, like over, you know, since the pandemic, I've been doing a lot for my home office. It's, it's yeah. probably pretty clean from where I do the, where the angle is of the web camera, but yeah, no, it's, it's like mountains of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a fun uh, perk to, to this industry where you get, stuff for free that you would buy otherwise and I would be broke. Um, but, uh, get to play with it and try it out. Yeah. Yeah. So look, that's where the real time is like writing the article itself is really, you know, maybe an hour, maybe a bit more if it's a, you know, 
longer or if I have to quote somebody and it's like, and now I'm like wearing a reporter hat and I'm not a reporter by the way, but sometimes I'm asked to have a silent, take a t- silent tone and objective tone and, and quote other experts. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Usually I'm hired like nine out of 10 times I'm hired to give my opinion and it's subjective, subjective, mm-hmm. but the writing part is actually the easiest part to me. It's, it's the, the, what's time consuming is when, okay, Mark, we're sending you a copy of the new Lego star Wars Skywalker saga game which is nine movies in one game. Wow. Uh, like, okay, we want a review of it. I'm like, oh my God. So you're actually losing money at that point. But I don't write for those publications anymore where you have to finish the game because I used to have to sign a contract with, um, when I used to write for like PC Gamer and, and EGM and all that, they would say, you have to finish the game. Like, and that's oh, wow. fair. It's fair to the reader. They want a real legit review, but I back away from those now because you lose money. <laughs> like it's fun, but I want to make some cash. And, and by playing a game for 30 hours, to make, you know, 350 bucks. It's just not a good use of my time or 500 bucks or whatever it is, you know? I got to ask you, uh, because you started in gaming, that was your initial passion. Were you one of the guys that was able to like complete Pac-Man? No, no. Okay. I think a guy finally did it like in 2020 or something. Like, honestly, like a perfect score. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, what, I love those um, in the 90s. I really love those computer adventure games where you had to like, it was like a story and you had to like walk around and talk to characters and like pick up items and use them to solve, like find a key to get into a locked room. Like I love those like um, adventure and role-playing games. Mm -hmm. And that's where I came up with the idea to just call the companies directly and ask them to send them to me. It's a similar scam that I was doing in the music industry. Um, my late uh, cousin, Cy, who you may remember, he was your brother's age. Okay. Uh, he was in my band, Remedy. Cy Ben Lolo passed away at age 40, uh, 10 years ago uh, mm-hmm. this week. Um, and him and I were, we used to love going to concerts. Same thing. We didn't want to spend the money. So on the back of every music CD was the band's management information. Okay. And we would read magazines that would show the, the tour schedule as well. So we would call the management office and say, yeah, we met... Uh, Stephen Perry at a party in Boston on Saturday night. And he told us to call this number because they're coming to Toronto soon. And he, we, you know, I I understand you may be able to get us tickets or whatever. Not one said no. We did it for so many bands that were coming to Toronto. We would just lie and say, yeah, we met them at a, we would just make sure it was legit. Like they were really were in that city that we said we met them in. Yeah. And we we played down. We're like, we're told to call this number and you might be able to get us some tickets at will call. You know, it worked every single time. I don't think one said no. So I took that same approach and did it with video games. (laughs) Well, you they, we're learning today, Mark, you're a hustler and you, but and a in a good way, yeah, in a good yeah. way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, we got to talk about a lot of the trends, you know, future trends, current trends. They're probably both the same. And I got to be honest, I don't understand most of these. What's the status of cryptocurrencies in your view? Well, it's becoming more mainstream and accepted. And the volatility, I think, is cooling a bit, which is what scared a lot of people off. I'd be lying if I said I was really, you know, knee deep into this stuff. I understand it, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't, I haven't invested much in it. Um, and by much, I mean very, very little, just dabbling because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm scared of the volatility. I want to sleep at night. You know, when I put my head on my pillow, I don't want to be thinking, oh, great, is that, Hundred grand that I own in in uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum going to be worth like you know twenty bucks when I wake up. Mm-hmm. So obviously I'm exaggerating, but I think it's exciting, and I think I understand 
the the issues with our traditional currency fiat or whatever you call it with inflation and I understand the need for a digital international currency that is not tied to any particular bank or country. So I get it, but there's a lot of players. So it's not just Bitcoin, there's many others. And I understand the blockchain and how it's all vetted and verified like a ledger. Um, so I do think crypto is is becoming, you know, a, a pretty serious thing right now, you know, serious meaning like adopted and, and recognized and appreciated and respected, but there's still, it's still early days. Um, and the whole, we talked about NFTs earlier, owning a digital asset, you know, and that's more tied to Ethereum, I think, than Bitcoin. Um, you know, I think it's interesting, but I think it's it's still a bit of a pyramid scheme in the sense like, you know, you buy it for, you buy this song or this piece of art, this monkey, this bored ape for X amount, and then you can turn around and sell it to another person. That's great. But at some point, the bubble's going to burst and someone's going to be left holding the bag, you know? I understand um, NFTs even less. And I'm glad you said that because I just wanted to ask you straight up. And maybe it's because I, I don't understand it, but it looks like a scam to me. It's not a scam. I mean, I, I appreciate what it is, which is owning a digital asset, whether it's a, a video clip or a, a photo or a song, there is proof. And again, it's on the blockchain and, and there, it's like verify that you are the legit owner, but that doesn't mean someone can't upload that same picture of that photo you own, yeah. but you are the legitimate owner and there is inherently some value in there. Uh, it's again, non-fungible. It's not like, you know, like a, a fungible transaction would be, Andrew, like I give you a $20 bill and you give me back two tens that equals each other out. But with mm -hmm. art, you know, there's no, it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. True really, enough. Right. So I get the idea, you know, uh, I understand it, but it, it is overhyped and um, there is some concern there about people spending like the guy who bought, um, I don't know if this is true, but the guy who bought um, Jack Dorsey's first tweet yes. for 1.8 million or something like that. Forgive me if the numbers are wrong, but something like that was only the highest bid he got this past week was like 300 and something dollars. So yes. yeah, you know, I don't want to be that guy, <laughs> but, but, what, when things, but things may get interesting in the metaverse where, you know, this um, fusion between the, the virtual and, and the real world and wearing headsets and, and interacting in this uh, virtual space where you can have your own home, like built on your own plot of land and then populate your home with things that you own. But I don't well, know how it would work if you wanted to show things that were, that you did not own. Um, I don't know why you couldn't still show it there either, even if you didn't own it. Well, let's talk about, you hit on something also in this metaverse, virtual real estate. Not only is this something else I don't understand, but there's actually already apparently concern about a virtual real estate bubble. Yeah, already. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, it's... Uh... Facebook is doubling down on it. They're trying to stay relevant. They're losing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, attention to TikTok. Mm -hmm. So I think they're they're really hoping that this is the next generation of the internet. And whether it's going to go bust, whether it's the land that you, virtual land that you own, or just, you know, there's lots of different players in the metaverse. So again, how are they all going to talk to one another? If I buy a plot of land in, you know, a... AA, you know, I'm thinking Andrew Applebaum Enterprises. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then someone buys a virtual plot of land with Meta, which is Facebook's parent company. How, how do the two pieces of land connect? Like where we're going to, you know, it's supposed to be more open. This whole Web3 movement is supposed to be all, everybody gets along. But whenever there's corporations involved, they want ownership, right? So it's going to yeah. be... It's, it's one of those things that I'm like cautiously optimistic about, okay. you know, kind of like the, I loved the book, ready player one. 
Uh, and okay. the movie was all right, but I really love the book and I love the idea of, you know, jacking in to a virtual world. You're represented by an avatar that you want to look like. And you're, you know, you're, whether you're in school virtually or you're attending a concert with a friend virtually and then hanging out in a chat room and going on a virtual date, obviously it's not as good as the real thing, but for those times that you can't, um, it's kind of neat. It's kind of cool. You yeah. Know? Well, or shopping clearly- virtually walking around like this absolutely gorgeous, like sneaker store that doesn't exist for real, but if you're wearing, you know, and you don't even need gloves anymore. These new headsets can look at your hands and let you touch things. You know, it's pretty neat. There's a camera in the front. Like it's, you know, it's kind of wild what it, what it can do. There's so many amazing applications. Well, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if this is uh, analogous, but the Google Glass project kind of never heard about it. Yeah, so that was really, an ex- that yeah. was an experiment. I'll, I'll defend Google on this. It wasn't really meant, because if they wanted it to be a consumer product, they could have been, but there was, there was some short, you know, challenges there, like uh, battery life for one. But the idea was these, this is augmented reality uh, mm-hmm. versus virtual reality. So for your listeners that may use the terms interchangeably, they're related, but they're not the same. VR is when you don't see the real world around you and you full, you, you have a full 360 degree view of that digital world that you're in whether you're in a forest, um, you know, or, you know, or you're in a Roman Coliseum, you are like zapped to that other world. Whereas augmented reality, including the uh, Google glass uh, glasses that you can wear, you still see the world around you, but it's augmented with digital information layered on top. So it's not unlike a Snapchat filter where you're holding up your phone and then it looks like when you move your head side to side and up and down, it looks like you're, I don't know, 85 years old, or you've got you're a dog, there's dog ears and the, you know, the ears stay on you when you move left and right and your tongue and all that, that's, that's superimposed on top of the real world. So there's different applications, but it's similar. And the metaverse folds in all of that. So imagine Andrew, we're at the AY Jackson reunion and I look at you and I'm like, I know him, but I forgot his name. And I feel like a tool. If I'm wearing Google glass, which may look like regular glasses, um, you know, your name could be hovering above your head virtually that I can see and go, Andrew, how's it going, man? (laughs) Yeah. You know, so it's kind of neat, but it's still early days. (laughs) Well, another area that that is constantly in evolution, AI, artificial intelligence, and you're going to maybe say I'm I'm watching too many of these Schwarzenegger movies, but there's always been this talk about self-awareness is artificial intelligence becoming self-aware is there a concern about that or is this kind of just a movie thing when some of the world's smartest guys in this space and women uh are concerned then yeah i think there's a right to be concerned but i don't think we're there yet yeah hopefully there will be some safeguards built in to not let the machines take over but uh yeah ai is advancing at a rapid click i mean it's it's pretty mind-boggling even the $29 $29 smart speaker that you can buy uh, for your home, you know, uh, where you wake it up with a, a wake word and, and ask a question. It's, it's a remarkable how fast and accurate it's, it's grabbing data from the internet and then delivering it to you in a human-like voice. I mean, and then you ta- layer on top of that machine learning where it starts to recognize what you like. It starts to hear your voice, uh, like how you speak. Like my son, my youngest son, who I referenced earlier, he's a mumbler. And we, we were always like, can you please say that a bit more clearly? His smart speaker understands him perfectly until I erased, as a little experiment, I deleted all of his data from the device and I reformatted it to just mm-hmm. to start from scratch and it didn't understand him. So it learns, it learns how you say certain letters and words and learns your tastes and it's going to get better and better. It's scary, but I don't think we're anywhere near the point where yeah, we have to worry about it getting smarter than us. And then, you know, but not it could happen. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think so. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, 
It's a little scary. It's cool, but scary, some of this tech. Have you seen this Google Duplex demo? Uh, It's pretty wild. Speaking of smart speakers, you can have your smart speaker call uh, an establishment and make like a reservation for you, but it's AI and it sounds human. So if you Google the word uh, Google Duplex uh, on YouTube, you'll see some amazing videos. So imagine you're busy. So you just tell your smart speaker, book a reservation for two tomorrow at this restaurant at seven o'clock. And if that's not available, eight o'clock is fine. So then your smart speaker calls the restaurant and says, hi, um, I'd like to book a reservation for Andrew Applebaum tomorrow for seven. And the woman or guy on the other line is like, uh, yeah, uh, okay. And, uh, oh, or sorry, we're, we're busy. Any other times work or, you know, how many people, you know, that, that it'll handle a lot of the requests Mm. and then give a human like answer. And then, you know, if it, if it can't, then it kicks it to you kind of like a chat bot when you're calling like a, you know, Customer service. Uh, customer service for a company. The AI can handle a lot of it and a lot more than it could even say five years ago. But then when it really is stuck, it kicks it to a human. It's just getting better and better over time. And Google Duplex, how close is that to being a reality? Like, is this so, yes, it's, in the, it's more in the States and there's a disclaimer now because some states uh, require it where before the person who answers the phone at the restaurant, to stick with that example, before when they answer, they first hear the, the you know, this proceeding, whatever conversation is going to be, uh, through uh, artificial intelligence on a Google. Um, so they tell you that it's not a real person, but it sounds like a real person. Well, yeah, you got to check out these videos. Or it's eerily realistic. Um, and you mentioned and, that was really... And visually too. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen these digital humans that... No, I haven't. By, uh, yeah, um, Epic. The same folks behind Fortnite. Okay. They have these like computer generated humans that you will do a double take. You will think they're real, but they are not. Uh, okay. I'm gonna, I will check. Well, something you mentioned that at the very beginning that I want to ask you about, you mentioned when you want to re- do reminders or take some notes, yeah. you use voice to text. Yeah. Cause and, if I'm driving, obviously I'm not going to touch my phone, so, but I just hit the voice button. Or yeah. I'd but is that working a lot better? Yeah. My experience hasn't been positive, but this is, is it really improved? I guess that ties into machine learning, would you say, or not really? I mean, it gets to when they start reminding you, machine learning is kind of like knowing your schedule and then Google says to you uh, um, and it knows that you drive to the office at the same time every day. It, it'll notify you say 30 minutes before you're about to leave that there's extra traffic and you may want to leave a little bit earlier. Uh, That's kind of machine learning, right? Cause it knows it's learning your schedule and preempting your action with some helpful uh, suggestions to leave a little bit earlier or take an alternate route. That is uh, sometimes opt in. Sometimes it's, you know, on by default, but this is more like just um you know, when I, I just have to stay organized. So if I have an idea for something, I just set, set up a reminder. So yeah, it should work, whether it's Siri, Alexa, or, or Google. More accurate um, than it was in the past. Be. Like, yeah, recognize yeah. your, your it should. tone, so to speak. Not even tone, just say, set a reminder for blank or put this in my calendar. And then when I get home and I visually look at my calendar, it's all there, that I, what I said. Mark, that's pretty, I ask- pretty straightforward, yeah. No, that's good. I, 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 I found I had to do a spell check on everything after. And read well, that's just for your own. Yeah, you know, it may not get every word right, but yeah. if it's, you'll, it should know, you should know what you said to yourself, right? <laughs> I hope so. If not, then that's not good. <laughs> I got other problems, as they say. Exactly. I want to ask you about holograms. They're apparently hot again in relation to concerts. 
I'm hoping, will I one day be able to enjoy Duran Duran without leaving my den or what's the status of holograms? Yeah, so, yeah, so there's been some improvements and I, I talked about Our Lady Peace earlier. They're going on tour across Canada in June and they're using holograms and it's pretty advanced compared to some of the other musical sort of holograms we've seen in the past. I think Michael was brought back to life or Prince or there was a couple of artists or Tupac. Didn't they have yep. Tupac, well, right? The big right? example I had seen right. was Tupac shows up. Yeah. So did I say Tupac? Tupac. No, I, I said it wrong, but it is I, Tupac. So I'm like, and now I'm questioning how I'm saying, but um, yeah, so it's getting much better where you don't see through them as, as easily and it looks more three-dimensional. So yeah, you can expect uh, even, even at retail, uh, not just concerts, but you're, you know, you're walking through the aisles of a supermarket. You may see a little display that looks like something that's very real, but it's just like a rotating hologram kind of thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's pretty cool. It's, a, you know, maybe a little bit still gimmicky, but I love the idea of, uh, with consent, bringing back artists. Like, I think Elvis, they did something with Elvis on CNN or something. I'm trying to remember um, back in the day. So it's getting better. I think it's kind of cool. And that does sort of, uh, yeah, you could be at home donning a headset and um, be, you know, virtually enjoying a show uh, as if you were there in person. It's crazy what's coming yeah. next. Well, I'm interested to see where that, how that gets used. Um, I want to ask you about some non-tech stuff, your hobbies when you're not gaming or dealing with technology. I understand you're a bit of a chicken wing connoisseur. Is that? <laughs> I am. I am. It's, it's in my Twitter bio. Yeah, I love chicken wings. It's my guilty pleasure. I don't eat them as much as people may think because I talk about it a lot. <laughs> where, do yeah. you, where do you go? Um, so there's a few places in the, the GTA, there's some boutique places, there's the chains like, um, you know, like there's of course, Bistro, uh, there's Wild Wing, there's, um, All Star, there's, there's, uh, Duff's of course. Yes. Um, that's, that's near our, our hood. Yep. Um, yeah, there's, it depends on the kind of wings that I'm craving. My wife makes amazing, uh, and she's a vegetarian, uh, baked wings that taste fried. And then we have a ridiculous hot sauce collection. Okay. So yeah, we I I love hot sauces. Uh, so um, we we eat them here, but it's not it's not an everyday thing. <laughs> it's not even a weekly thing. But uh, yeah, I know I do. You know, if, I, if it was my final meal, like you know, I was gonna you know be you know executed or something. I, I, okay, I probably have like filet mignon or something. But sure, with a, a side of wings, a, a bucket of suicide wings and a pitcher of beer would probably be that would be my final meal. <laughs> I was going to ask when you want to go to a movie, do you go okay. to the cinema and see the big screen or do you do it at home? I haven't since COVID started. I'm not going to yes. lie, you know, and it's not because, you know, uh, any beef I have with Cineplex, it was a good 11 year run. You know, the last one I did the gear guide segment that you talked about near the beginning of the interview. Uh, the last one I did was December, 2019. And then, you know, COVID happened a couple of months later. So I don't expect it ever to come back, but it has no re- not, not, nothing to do with why. No, I just, I just, yeah, you know, there are some movies that you're fine with watching at home and, you know, you can buy now like a 70 inch TV for like 600 bucks, <laughs> but it's not the quite, it's not quite the same as, and movie theater popcorn. That's my other vice is popcorn. Um, yeah. You never you get it as good as in the theater. Yeah. I'm getting That's close. True. I'm getting close. <laughs> yeah. I, I have this, like I buy some stuff off Amazon and I have like a popcorn maker in my basement. But, uh, I, so I, yeah. I, um, but, uh, yeah, no, I've, uh, 
I haven't been to the, the movies, but yeah, so something like a Marvel movie or something, I would rather see it in the theater if it's, big. you know, something else. Yes, yeah, so a big sci-fi or action movie, yeah. You asked about some other hobbies. Yeah, I so cut yeah, you I, off. You're going to tell me places you like to eat or even things you like to do in Toronto. Yeah, so, so I definitely love movies, but I've been watching them more at home. That's another hobby. I'm also a collector of, and this sounds kind of counter, you know, like you think I'm a, I'm a techie, I'm a futurist. I collect and listen to old radio dramas. Wow. So I don't know if you remember, you grew up in Toronto. So yes. you may remember like Theater of the Mind. Yes. Sunday nights on Chum FM after Dr. Go. Demento. <laughs> yeah. I'm dating Dr. myself. Demento. So these are uh, radio plays. So not an audio book where it's one person reading a story, but it's acted out with actors and sound effects yeah. and stuff. So this was uh, quite big in the 40s and 50s. And then TV kind of became the dominant entertainment medium in the home, but through from the thirties to the fifties. And then a little bit since uh, these radio plays are amazing because it's your imagination, right? You're listening to these stories and you're conjuring up what the characters look like. And all. So I love any kind of horror and I love horror movies. Yeah. Uh, horror, sci-fi, murder, mystery, kind of OTR. It's called old time radio shows. OTR. OTR. So I collect, I have a vast collection on external drives uh, but it's all for free now. You can ga- you can download it, and like you know, a lot of these um, copyrights have expired and stuff, right? So I love this, and it's something you can listen to while you're multitasking. Like when I used to travel a lot, I'm on airplanes, walking around through an airport. You can listen to these yeah. your earbuds, um, or you know, at night, my wife and I like the lights are off, we're in bed, but we're not. You know, we want to unwind. I'll put on a radio show from my iPad, and. Sometimes it has an opposite effect when it's stimulating because it's really good. <laughs> you can't go to sleep. Yeah, but You're too but excited. Other, other times, like more white noise, but I love it. I listen to it when I drive. Yeah. You know what? I don't know if there's a, a connection here. I kind of enjoy. Uh, he 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 passed away years ago. Jeff Healy, the guitarist. Yeah, yeah. They replay when he's hosting. Uh, I I think it must be on the jazz station. He hosts a radio show where he plays all the old time music. Oh, I didn't know he did that. Yeah. There are stations in Toronto. I think Zoomer, AM740, yes. they, they play old time radio shows. Uh, there's a Sirius XM station called Radio Classics, which plays my, not my one hour show in the States called Tech It Out, but they play my one minute uh, interstitial, we call it, like a one minute tech update, also okay. branded as tech it out that runs on radio classics as well, which is kind of neat. But uh, so on Sirius XM, the problem with listening to old time radio on Sirius XM is that if you're driving and you want to hear the story and you have to leave your car, you know, to get your dry cleaning or whatever you're, you can't pause. There is an app. If yeah. you pay a little bit more, there is a Sirius XM app where you can listen to that show on demand. But for the most part, that's the issue with listening to it on the radio is that you so can't pause it. So there's see you in your driveway. I may be listening. We know yeah, what's going exactly. on I can't get out. Uh, but no, I subscribe to so many different OTR podcasts for the genres that I like. Because there's other genres like Westerns. There's like, you know, comedy, like sitcoms, but yep. on the radio, right? Um, but I love, so the other thing I, yeah. So I love radio. I love the Twilight Zone. That's another huge thing for me. All these books behind me are Twilight Zone books. I'm yep. a huge fan of Rod Serling and anything to do with the Twilight Zone series. Big, uh, fun, like big uh, fan there. Uh, Mark, you've been very giving your time. And before we wrap up, I did want to ask you for two favorite Toronto things. It can be somewhere to eat, place to go, but I'd like one of them to be more of a hidden gem. Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Um, so 
I'm not a foodie, but I really love our scene. I love, you know, Toronto's multicultural scene. Like our food is amazing. And I would put up a lot of these restaurants uh, against these Michelin, you know, Mm -hmm. restaurants around the world. So I love like Indian, uh, North Indian or Hakka. I love a lot of the Asian food in Markham. Finally, we're getting good Mexican food Mm -hmm. in the GTA. That was the one kind of cuisine that we weren't really doing that great with. I eat Italian in Woodbridge. I love Mm -hmm. Greek town. Um, Any place you want to shout out as a favorite place you like to eat? Well, since we're both from York region, I'll give a shout out. If you like deli, I always say Center Street Deli doesn't get the cred that it gets, you know, Mm -hmm. and compared to some of the Montreal restaurants. So Center Street Deli is awesome, I think. Um, For Mexican in Richmond Hill, where you're based, I love El Bocho. Yes. On Young Street. Have you been there? Yeah, they're awesome. I have. The owners are amazing as well. I'm sure you've gone across the street, three coins. Yeah. A diner from I haven't been there in a while. Yeah, I, I went there when we lived more near there. But uh, yeah, I don't know a lot of the greasy spoons anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, so aside from chicken wing joints, I'd say Mexican and Indian would be after. So I would say El Bocho is kind of the hidden gem that, that, you're, that you're asking about. It's a very um, good one. Yeah, so they're they're awesome. Um, owners, like the just amazing vibe there. Uh, so and then what else do I like to do in Toronto? I love walking. There's so many good trails. Yeah. Um, so I used to go cycling with my son, my youngest son, and some trails, not just New York region, but in Toronto. But it, yeah, walking around downtown, um, it's a, such an amazing, you know, we're Canadian, so we don't often like, you know, say how great thing we are. You know, it's just sort of, we're a lot more modest and all that. But I, I really love Toronto. I've had a few opportunities to move to the States. You know, CNN made me an offer to move to Atlanta and then New York, um, which I turned down. I had an opportunity to move to San Francisco, to LA. I love Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's no other place that I'd rather be. And, uh, you can work, you can't have a lot of us based work from here, depending on what you do, but, um, you know, with technology, you can work from anywhere. So yeah, I love it here. Fabulous. Well, me too. And it's a, it's a great close to this episode of Toronto legends. It was great having you. Where can we best follow Mark Saltzman and know what you are up to? Yeah. Thanks so much, Andrew. Uh, on social media, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. So it's Mark with a C, Saltzman, S-A-L-T-Z-M-A-N. I write a tech tip of the day. I link to my articles and my podcast interviews on Tech It Out. Um, And uh, yeah, and then um, my website, marksaltzman.com has even more. But uh, yeah, I'd love to interact with your your listeners. Thanks so much for inviting me onto the podcast. I'm flattered that you thought of me. And uh, it's good to see you. It's been, well, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize we were the same graduating year, by the way. It, That's it's, awesome. It's crazy how, how time passes and sometimes it has to be a big circle to reconnect, but I'm glad we could catch up. Yeah. I hope you feel better. <laughs> thank thank you. you for your time today. And to the listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast. And on behalf of Mark Saltzman, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo.
Pats. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.